Chapter 11 of Mystery of the Secret Band by Edith Lavelle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bail. Mary Louise did not awaken until nine o'clock the following morning. A pleasant glow of triumph suffused her. She was experiencing her first thrill of professional success, but the occurrence of the preceding night was only a partial victory. She reminded herself the job was just begun. There were more thieves to be caught and valuables to be recovered. She decided to ring for a breakfast tray in her room. She had often seen this luxury pictured in the movies. Now was her chance to try it out for herself. While it was being prepared, she took a shower and dressed. Ten minutes later, the tempting meal arrived. It was fun, she thought, as she poured the coffee from the silver pot to play being a wealthy lady. But it would be more enjoyable if Jane were with her. However, she had no time to think of Jane or of her friends in Riverside. She must concentrate all her mental powers upon the mystery she was trying to solve. There were the hypotheses she meant to build her case upon. 1. Pauline Brooks and Mary Green were two members of a secret band of hotel robbers, composed probably of women and girls. 2. Pauline's aunt, as she called her, must be the leader since she went from hotel to hotel. 3. The two transient guests who had undoubtedly stolen the silverware and the vase from Stoddard House were members of the same gang. 4. Pauline's aunt had a country place where she probably hid the stolen articles until they could be disposed of. Now, with these facts in mind, Mary Louise had several poignant questions to answer. 1. Was this country place at Center Square and was that woman whom Mary Louise had seen in the dark Pauline's aunt? 2. Was Margaret Detweiler connected with this gang? Mary Louise remembered that Mary Green had admitted that she knew Margaret and that Pauline had instantly contradicted her. It was still rather a muddle. She decided as she finished her breakfast and left the room. She took the elevator to Mrs. Weinberger's floor and hastily told her the story of the previous night's excitement. Then, scarcely waiting for the older woman's congratulations, she hurried down to the manager's office. The hotel is exceedingly grateful to you for the service you have rendered us, Miss Gay, said the man. The least we can do is to present you with a receipted bill for your room and breakfast. Mary Louise gasped out her thanks. She had never dreamed of a reward. And what became of the girls? she inquired. They are being held under five hundred dollars bail, was the reply. They won't have any trouble raising that, I'm afraid, said Mary Louise. They'll skip and go right on with their old tricks. Perhaps you're right, Miss Gay. Is Mr. Hayden here? she asked. No, he has gone home, replied the manager. But he left this memorandum for you, in case you want to visit the girls and see whether you can learn anything more about the case you're working on. Mary Louise put the paper with the address on it in her handbag and hurried back to Stoddard House. She found Mrs. Hillard in her office on the first floor, planning her work for the day. I've got great news for you, Mrs. Hillard, she cried carefully, closing the door behind her. I've caught two of the thieves, and you'll never guess who they are. No, I won't even try, returned the other. I'm not much good as a detective, but hurry up and tell me. Pauline Brooks and Mary Green. Pauline Brooks, repeated Mrs. Hillard in amazement, but tell me how you know. The detective at the Bellevue and I caught them in men's clothing, 
trying to rob another guest at the hotel. Remember, I thought it was a man who stole my watch, though he did seem awfully small. Well, it was Pauline, and she was dressed up the same way last night. You're the cleverest girl I ever met, Mary Louise. How did you ever come to suspect those girls? I'll tell you the whole story later, when I have more time, Mrs. Hillard. I've got to be off now, after some evidence to prove that they were the thieves who did the stealing here. You see, they're in jail now, for what they did at the Bellevue. But I have nothing to prove they were guilty of the robberies at Stoddard House. But what are you going to do? I'm going to try to find the leader of their gang and find the treasure chest. And that reminds me. I want the names of those two transients who were here when you missed the vase and the silverware. Mrs. Hillard searched for them in her book, and Mary Louise copied them, although she had little hope that they would help her. The way these girls changed names with each change of residence made it extremely baffling. Where do you expect to look for the leader of this gang? asked the manager. I'm going to drive up to Center Square again, right now, in a hired drive-it-yourself car. Isn't that where you got that blow on your head? Yes, but you needn't worry about me this time, Mrs. Hillard. I'm going to get a policeman to go with me to the empty house. Wise girl. But I believe you'd be wiser still, Mary Louise, if you just dropped the thing now and went home for Christmas. You've certainly earned your pay, and we can feel that our troubles are over. I can give the guests some assurance that they will not be robbed again. Won't you go, dear? Your family will be wanting you. Oh, no, Mrs. Hillard. Thank you just the same. But I couldn't think of it. I want to recover the stolen goods and get more proof against those two girls. I couldn't give up now. Well, then, be very careful. I'll be back in time for supper, she promised. Mary Louise went directly to the nearest agency and hired a car. Not a new car, but one which ran smoothly and which she found no difficulty in operating. The day was warm for December and sunny. The snow was gone. It would be jolly to spend the whole day out of doors. Of course, it would have been nicer if Jane or Max were with her. But Mary Louise had so much to think about that she did not mind being alone. Wasn't it funny, she mused, that the very first guest she had met at Stoddard House had been the guilty person? How thankful she was that she had not given in to that impulse to make Pauline Brooks her confidant. Perhaps if she had, Pauline would not have stolen her watch. Yet without that misfortune, Mary Louise might never have solved the mystery. She drove along at an even speed, following her map and watching for the landmarks she had noticed on her previous trip. About noon, she arrived at the hotel, where she and Max had eaten dinner on Sunday evening, and she drew the car to a spot at its entrance. The same clerk was at the desk. He remembered Mary Louise, and asked immediately how her head was. It's almost well, she replied, but I want to visit that house again and find out who lives there and what hit me. To collect damages? No, not specially, but there is something mysterious about that house, and I'd like to see it in broad daylight. This time I want to take a policeman with me. Have you any in Center Square? We have a constable. He might be willing to go along. Would you be kind enough to ring him up and ask him to come here while I eat my lunch in the dining room? After all, he has a right to help me find out what hit me. Sure, I will, miss, and he'll be glad to come. He's mighty obliging. Besides, he ain't got much to do. Mary Louise was hungry, and she enjoyed her lunch immensely. The food wasn't dainty like the Stoddard House, or fancy like the Bellevue, but it was wholesome and well-cooked, and the keen air had given her a good appetite. 
When she had finished eating and returned to the main room of the little country hotel, she found the officer waiting for her. He was a stout, middle-aged man with a pleasant smile, and he wore a baggy gray suit with a stringy tie. He was very much interested in the story of Mary Louise's previous visit to Center Square, and of her reason for wanting to see the ugly woman again who was occupying the house. Of course, what I'm hoping for, concluded Mary Louise, is to catch her with the stolen goods and have her arrested. But she may not be the person I'm looking for at all, because I saw her in the dark with only a lighted candle behind her. What is her name? Mrs. Brooks is the only name I know her by, but I've learned that criminals have half a dozen names, so you can't go by that. There isn't anybody by that name around here, is there? The man shook his head. No, there ain't. But let's drive to the house you mean, and I can tell you who owns it, and maybe tell you something about the people that live there. I don't believe anybody really lives there, replied Mary Louise. It's all boarded up. They got into Mary Louise's hired car, and she turned off the main highway into the dirt road, which she and Max had explored. Here it was difficult for Mary Louise to find her way, because on the former occasion it had been dark, and snow had covered most of the ground. She drove along slowly past the empty house they had first visited, until she came to the hill and the place with the steep driveway. She remembered the house now. There was the tree under which Max had parked, and the barn beyond. A huge sign bearing the words, No Trespassing Private Property, had been erected since her former visit. This place belongs to a Mrs. Ferguson of Baltimore, announced the constable. She's a widow with two daughters. They never live here. But once in a while, she brings a bunch of girls here for a house party. She's wealthy, always comes in a car, and brings a couple of servants. Ferguson, repeated Mary Louise, wondering where she had heard that name before. But she had heard so many new names in the past few days that she could not place it. Could you describe her? She inquired. Can't say as I could. Never saw her close. She dresses stylish, I know that, and has nothing to do with the country folks around here. Mary Louise brought the car to a stop and parked it some distance from the house, cautiously avoiding the trees this time. Even though she had a constable with her, she wasn't taking any chances of being hit again. That's the tree we were parked under, she pointed out, where I got hit in the head. Did you see anybody? No, but my friend said afterward he heard somebody laugh. But he couldn't wait to investigate because he had to get me to a doctor. Maybe it was just a bad boy. We have some young bums around here once in a while. Mary Louise got out of the car and the constable followed her, making a tour of the outside of the house, examining the boarded windows, trying the locked doors. Apparently it was deserted. I'd love to get inside, remarked Mary Louise. Couldn't we break in? Not without a warrant, replied the officer. We ain't got any real evidence against this lady. You can't tell what hit you, and besides... You was trespassing on private property. Mary Louise sighed. Evidently, there was nothing she could do here. She might as well go back to Philadelphia. It had been a useless waste of time, she thought, as she drove along towards the hotel. She had learned only one fact, the name of the owner of that empty house, Ferguson. She kept repeating to herself, wondering where she had heard that name before. And then it came to her in a flash. Ferguson was the name of the woman who had helped Margaret Detweiler at the department store. Mary Louise laughed out loud. So I'm on the track of the wrong mystery, she thought. 
Oh, well, if I could find Margaret Detweiler, I'd be happier than if I got back all that money stolen from Stoddard House. So my day really hasn't been wasted. When she arrived at her hotel, she literally smelled Christmas in the air. The windows were hung with wreaths. Holly and mistletoe and evergreen decorated the rooms on the first floor. Everybody seemed to be hurrying around with the pleasant holiday air of excitement, carrying packages and making last-minute plans for the great day. A sudden swift feeling of homesickness took possession of Mary Louise, a violent desire to be back in her own home in Riverside, sharing the happy holiday confusion. For a moment she felt that she would have to go back at any sacrifice, but ambition overcame sentiment. She would not be a quitter and leave at the most important time. She would see the thing through as she had planned. But there was nothing to prevent her wiring to her father to come and spend part of the holiday with her, especially now that she had something definite to report to him. So she composed a telegram and sent it at once over the telephone. Have caught thieves, she said, but cannot recover stolen goods. Leader of band at large. Please come help me. Love, M.L. As soon as the message was sent, she felt better and was as jolly as anyone else at supper. She was helping the Walder girls tie up packages and humming Christmas carols when a call came for her on the telephone. Maybe it's Dad, she said to Mrs. Hillard as she came into the manager's office. But it wasn't. It was Mr. Hayden calling from the Bellevue. Pauling Brooks has wired to a Mrs. Ferguson, Hotel Phillips, Baltimore, Maryland, he announced, asking for five hundred dollars. All she says in her telegram is, please send five hundred dollars bail, and signed it P.B. But I thought it might help you to know whom she wired, Miss Gay. I should say it does, exclaimed Mary Louise rapturously. Thank you so much, Mr. Hayden. She was so happy that she executed a dance. Oh, how wonderful that piece of news was. Mrs. Ferguson, the woman had helped, or pretended to help, Margaret Detweiler, the woman who lived at Center Square, possibly the same woman whom Pauline had called her aunt, by the name of Mrs. Brooks. Everything seemed to be coming untangled all at once. If only Mary Louise could catch this Ferguson woman. But of course she could, with her father's help. Thank heaven he would be coming soon. He could fly straight to Baltimore and accomplish her arrest. And the mystery, perhaps both mysteries, would be solved. So Mary Louise went happily to sleep that night, little dreaming that the worst part of her experience lay ahead of her. End of Bail 